comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Long Box of Doom, episode two forty six. If we if we ever get to episode two hundred two thousand four hundred sixty eight, that'll be an interesting episode. Yes, our grandchildren or great grandchildren will tell us about it at our graves. Well, I'll just be heads in jars, like on Futurama. Exactly, that would be awesome. But no, this is not the Futurama Head in a Jar podcast. We are here tonight. Although it could be, it could be. If you're listening to this far enough in the future, you never know. But no, this is the July BS Comic Show. Uh, so this is Russ, and joining with me tonight are Jordan and Jim. Good evening, guys. Good evening. Hello. Well, I hate to start us out on a down note, but I just wanted to mention real quick, I kind of got some sad news today that um, if any of you are familiar with the Giant Bomb cast or the site GiantBomb.com, one of the founders and leaders of the podcast, Mr. Ryan Davis, passed away um, apparently on July the 3rd, and news of it just kind of reached today. And, I, you know, obviously, somebody I never met, I've only been listening to that podcast for maybe two years now, maybe a little more than two years, um, and have been to the site a few times, but was really, really saddened um, to hear that he'd passed. I mean, he was only 34 years old, um, and anybody that does, even if you're not a video game guy or, or gal, if you if you're you know obviously you listen to this show you're into podcasts or if you're a podcaster yourself just a huge loss I mean the guy um, you know that that whole crew is I mean that's definitely in probably in my top five if not top two podcasts that I listen to I mean the the chemistry that those guys have is incredible they all record in the same room and just the way they interact with each other and just their their quickness um, and and their analysis and everything related to video games um, is just second to none I, I laugh a lot. Um, while listening to that podcast, and it's just just a huge loss. I mean, like I said, he was only 34 years old um, at this time. You know, we're not sure what the circumstances are, but uh, I just I just wanted to mention it and say my heart's you know my heart goes out to you know his friends and his family. He was you know re- literally days after he got married, uh, this happened. So um, pour one out for Mr. Ryan Davis. Yeah, I was a big fan of Giant. I'm, I'm still I'm a big fan of Giant Bombcast. It's one of the best uh, video game podcasts out there. I really think so. And um, it, it's just shocking. I mean, he's so young, just got married. I mean, we, he, I was just listening to one of his podcasts you know, the other day when they were uh, they were talking about going you know out for his wedding and stuff. And uh, it, it's um, it's just kind of just a big shock, you know. I mean, he was a very young guy and. Uh, great great podcasting voice really was the the ringleader of that podcast kind of you know motivated everyone and kept them going through it and uh, definitely gonna miss him you know enough of the sad news uh now we'll bring it up a little bit and talk some comics so who wants to go first well i had a um a a new a couple of news items that kind of spun into a question if you guys don't mind 
rather than just going right into reviews. Um, sure. This this week we heard that uh, Marvel is going to be doing a comic based on the Dexter series, uh, the Dexter television series. Um, we just got a relaunch of the X-Files. Uh, was that Dynamite, I believe? And I heard that, um, I also uh, read this week, that Boom is uh, going to be putting out a Sons of Anarchy comic book. So it seems like they're, we're, much like uh, Gold Key did like back in the 60s and 70s, they're mining television for uh, for new comic IPs. And I was wondering if you could go and, uh, you know, start a comic based on any television IP, uh, what would it be? And who would you, and who would be your dream team to write and draw it for extra credit? I don't know. I I mean, I do watch quite a bit of television. Uh, you know, generally, I like to, you know, Netflix binge watch it and, uh, you know, really delve into older shows and stuff like that. I don't know that there are many television shows or really any that I can think of that would work work as comics that or not only would work as comics, but that I would want to see them as comics that haven't already made that jump, be it Buffy, Angel or Firefly and not just Joss Whedon stuff, but, um, you know. You don't really need a lost comic book. Everything that you really needed out of Lost was in that show. Um, Fringe already had comics. Um, I love Breaking Bad and Mad Men. I don't need to see a comic book about either of them. I guess maybe a Saul Goodman uh, comic could be fun. What if Brian Asarello and Eduardo Riso did a Breaking Bad like prequel or uh, or a spinoff? I, I, like I said, like maybe a Saul Goodman book. But I'm I'm thinking just in terms of like what stories I want to hear. Or want to read about? I, I'm assuming that by the end of Breaking Bad, all the story will be wrapped up. And so far, the way it looks like it's going, you know, that story will be wrapped up in that show. And it's not like I need to know what Walter White was doing in his 20s, you know, at this point, or what happens next to Walter Jr. or whatever. Most of the shows that I can think of that I love are wrapped up pretty well in the show or have already made that jump. Or in my case, a lot of them just have, have become comics. You know, like we said, I mean, they've done stuff on Stargate. You know, obviously Star Trek's been done to death at many different companies. Um, X-Files has had it, its turn before. I can't. I don't recall if they've done comics on this, but I'm, sh- I'm sure they have, and I'm, I imagine if I looked it up, they could. Um, but I was a huge fan of Quantum Leap back in the day, and so that might be kind of interesting because I think they could do um, stuff with... I think they could do some really interesting stuff with that. And... As far as creative team, I think that's one of those books that they could really get away with a rotating team because it takes place in different periods of time and you could, you know, really tailor the the book to the, to, you know, tailor the, the creative team, you know, based on the, the time period you're at. Um, so I, I can't think of any one, you know, creative team that I think would just, you know, kill it. Um, and yeah, it looks like. Back in '91, there was a 12-issue series from Innovation. Ooh, I remember them. Uh, you know, back yeah, way back in the in the early '90s when everybody and their grandma had a had a comic book company. So again, it just seems like a lot of uh, you know a lot of the shows. You know, Battlestar Galactica is another one. You know, they've they've had you know comics. Um, even you know, even like Lost in Space um, <laughs> has has had comics. So I, it's almost I struggle to find anything. I mean, there's a lot of shows like Jordan, you know, where they're true dramas that I t- typically don't think those translate well to comics. There's just not enough flash and action and things like that. I, you know, this whole Dexter comic, I, that just doesn't seem like the kind of book that I would, I would read. I've, I've even had trouble getting into, I've looked through some of the Doctor Who comics and I'm, I've become kind of a, a pretty big Doctor Who fan of the TV show and those don't seem to, to do much for me. 
but but again, all the Joss Whedon stuff's already been translated, you know, like Jordan was saying. So that that's a tough one to try and figure out, like a, a TV property out there that would, you know, that would translate well into that medium and 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 be a good ongoing. You know, you mentioning time travel, Russ, with Quantum Leap actually made me think of one, which made me think of another book or another TV show I could be interested in seeing, and that's because they both ended after one season and didn't really get. I mean, they got endings, but there was definitely more story to tell there. Uh, both NBC shows, uh, the first one, the time travel one, being Journeyman from a few years back, starring, I believe it was Kevin McKidd and uh, Moon Bloodgood. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was a really cool show that, you know, just it didn't have the audience, but it had a cool concept that I think probably could work in comics. And the other ones from this past year, or maybe two years ago now, but um, Awake, also on NBC, that was... Um, the guy who every time he fell asleep, he would wake up in this opposite world where either his son was alive and his wife was dead or his wife was alive and his son was dead and he was trying to figure out which one was the real world. So I think either of those could work as a comic. But again, they're not really something you would normally expect from comics, but they could also probably work there. They're not like a huge action show. They're more semi-procedural but not exclusively that, so it would work in a comic book from issue to issue and trade to trade, but uh, it wouldn't wouldn't really rely on um, a, a television presentation to sell the story. The, uh, the two I thought of immediately, though, uh, were both uh, cartoons. Um, the Venture Brothers. I would love I would love to get a Venture oh, okay. Brothers monthly. That would be great. I, I could I mean, I Especially could the way that, that yeah. would subvert the medium the way the cartoon does. Uh, it's medium, you know what I mean? And uh, the second one, there has been one comic where they crossed over with the goon, but I think a Death Clock comic um, I would buy. Oh, I forgot yeah, about that. I would that. definitely get a Death Clock comic. But yeah, I know it's kind of cheating grabbing cartoons like that, but um, um, as, uh, I also wanted to mention um, um, NBC is going to be putting out digital comics of uh, Saved by the Bell, Punky Brewster, Knight Rider, Airwolf, and Miami Vice. So I will only be interested in an Airwolf comic if every issue plays the Airwolf theme when you open it like a greeting card. And even then, I only really need one copy of one book. I don't really need any others. <laughs> only if they d- decide to add in um, as a separate backup feature Riptide and or Remington Steel. You know, you know what's <laughs> really funny is on Nothing's On, uh, we're doing some retro shows since, uh, you know, summer, there's not a lot of TV, and I just watched the pilot, uh, double, uh, the two-hour pilot of Magnum P.I. the other day. Nice. And, uh, yeah, that was something. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I guess the TV... Well, you, you bringing up Metalocalypse, Jim, makes me think that you know, I didn't really love that Metalocalypse comic, and I don't know that it's a book I want. Uh, you know, it's... It's interesting. I I love the show Metalocalypse, and I have an affinity for the characters, but the real thing I love the most about it is the music, and that's one of those things that just doesn't translate to comics well. Like, I watch it more for the music and that tone than I do for the characters, even as much as I do enjoy the characters. I I have three words. Thundar the Barbarian. I see your Thundar, and I raise you a reboot. (laughs) Do you know? Do you guys know Reboot? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, I thought you meant a Reboot no, 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 of the Barbarian. Yes, the, the Canadian yeah, the show. From the, yeah. <laughs> okay, then how about some Beast Wars? If oh, we're into Canadian, that would CG, be awesome. Um, I have a uh, fondness cartoons. for the Canadian CG of the nineties and, and aughts. <laughs> what other news do we? Oh, some other. If we're if we're done with the with that news, or 
ready to move on to some other news? Sure, go ahead. Uh, so we we found out from the Image Expo that Walking Dead is going to go semi monthly from what is it October through the net, the or September through the following six months um, for a story that they're calling All Out War. And uh, they're bringing in inkers or an inker to help Charlie Adler to make sure the art stays on on target. Because I guess Adler is, typically does pencils and inks. Uh, it's a black and white book. Uh, so it sounds like Adler's going to really have to, I mean, two issues a month is still a lot of work, even if you have somebody else inking, um, even for a black and white book. So I'd be really curious. And Walking Dead from time to time has gone through its paces of lateness. So I'm really. And was that Hick- or Hickman? Was that Kirkman's fault or was that Adler's fault? I think it was Kirkman's, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I've always assumed. Yeah, and that I think that was at the height of him really trying to kick off the TV show. I think that's when things started to really gel, and maybe he was having to do a lot of meetings and pitches and and things like that um, because we, we didn't hear a lot of it. I think it was like right after that that we got the word that. Um, interest was kicking up. I mean, we even interviewed at that time Robert Kirkman when the the TV show wasn't official, but there was a lot of buzz around it, and he was kind of a bit coy uh, with with that. And that was at the time too when he was um, uh, he he was sunsetting um, Werewolf by Night, wasn't it Werewolf? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, when he was kind of sunsetting that series out. So you know, given the success that Walking Dead is and some of the other stuff that, that he has going on and him being an image, you know, partner or, you know, in charge of image now, I'm really curious to see if maybe he's just spent a lot of time writing ahead and has all this stuff plotted out. But uh, it sounds like that, I don't know, we don't, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a storyline going in, on in The Walking Dead that I think is about to come to a head similar, somewhat similar in, in tone to what what happened around issues you know this i guess the seventh and eighth trade you know right around that whole thing with the governor uh it's it's kind of a similar situation and i think he he intends to just crank out 12 issues over a six-month period of time um part of it is in i guess response to the 10th anniversary of the walking dead but to really you know gear that story up and and get it going so i'm i'm curious to see how that pans out yeah, I have no problem with more Walking Dead, you know, sooner than later. Uh, my only concern is just, you know, he's writing this, he's writing Invincible, he's got Super Dinosaur, he's not running the TV show The Walking Dead, but he's a big, big piece of that, as well as others, uh, you know, writing work he's doing here and there and producing work and stuff like that. It's more of just a question of how long can he keep that up? I mean, granted, this is just six months, but even without this heightened schedule, his normal schedule is already crazy. Yeah, I'm fine with the, uh, as long as it stays on track. I mean, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You might intend to do two issues a, a month and then it derails in a few months. But, you know, I'll take whatever Walking Dead I can get pretty much. And I mean, and luckily I'd say this current storyline in The Walking Dead has been really good, or at least I've been very happy with it. Um, I read it in trades, so I'm a couple issues behind. But the last couple trades have been really strong and I really like this new villain and I, I like the current setup and how the story's playing out. So it's not like he announced this in the middle of 
not that there's ever been any like extended bad portions of The Walking Dead, but there's definitely been portions where people were less interested, uh, or at least where I was less interested, and I know I've heard similar things from other people. At least he's not announcing this then. He's announcing it now in a really, really good part of the book. Well, sorry, I wouldn't even say really good or really bad. It's just you know, there are, there are um, trades where lots happens, and then there are trades where not so much happens. You know what I mean? It's still a good story. Right, it's just right, that, yeah. the, like music, you know, you can't have all the crescendo, all crescendos all the time. You know, you have to have, you know, give your characters room to breathe and kind of have some, some dramatic uh, moments there as well. So, um, but I, absolutely, I mean, ever since issue 100 and what went down there, it's been uh, a roller coaster ride. So I'm, I'm happy to get more issues and, you know, now the story is kind of kicked into high again. Yeah, I think it's definitely on an uptick because I was kind of in that boat. Leading up to 100, I wasn't really, I think it was just kind of on autopilot. It just seemed like they were rehashing the same ground. Then immediately after 100, I, I 100, and we talked about it at the time, but 100 kind of was somewhat off-putting to me, and it really kind of soured me off to The Walking Dead. I mean, I, I definitely kept reading it, but I just felt like maybe it had kind of, um, you know, kind of hit its stride a while back and was just kind of coasting. Um, but things are definitely starting to pick up, so I'm I'm curious to see see what happens. Um, in Kirkman's defense, though, after the 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 chronic lateness that he had for a while, he kind of made this pledge that I forget what it was. Like he guaranteed, like for all of I think it was either 2010 or 2011, that every book every issue would come out on time, or for the next six months everything would come out on time, or something like that. And he pretty much hit that mark. So ever since that that kind of time where things were a little slow across the board. I mean, it wasn't just Walking Dead. It was Invincible. It was it was everything he was working on at the time. Um, it seems like everything's been pretty even keel and pretty timely since then. So um, he's he's definitely in the last year, year and a half, been on a, a pretty good clip. So um, I, I think I think he's he's probably learned learned his I hate to say learned his lesson because it's not like he did some, you know, committed some kind of horrible sin. But, um, you know, two being a principal and image you you want to kind of lead by example as well, so I'm I'm excited for it. I I really hope it'll it'll be um, some good things, and I hope it's just not just shocking for shocking's sake. And I think that's where you know some of the some of the things with The Walking Dead just got to where you just got numb to what was happening. So so I guess another bit of news that we gotten recently is that Boom is buying Archaea. So two publishers are merging. I'm not sure what exactly that means. I've I've heard that Archaea is still going to be able to operate as a mostly independent entity. Um, I think it's a big move for them. Uh, if nothing else, they get moved to the front half of previews, being under that that boom uh, imprint. Well, I mean, not to the front half, but closer to the. Well, I guess they're they're they're, they're, they're um they begin with A. They would already be ahead of boom. Yeah, yeah no, good point. I, I I guess I always look at it when I look through previews. Boom seems to have a bigger footprint. I mean, they're not in that quote-unquote half, you know, front half of previews like um, IDW made the jump. But still, when you're looking through, Boom seems to get, you know, I don't know if it's just because they have more money to spend with Diamond on advertising. But when you look through previews, the the ads for Boom seem to be a lot more prominent than just the other stuff like you'd see for Archaea. Um, occasionally, they'll do something big. I know when Tales of, Tales of Sand was really popular. Uh, and and they were soliciting it. It had a, a pretty prominent ad, and usually the mouse guard stuff is pretty prominent. But most of their other stuff doesn't really get like this big notice, like a lot of the boom stuff, uh, 
you know, gets just in that portion of the of the book. And maybe Boom is hoping too that with this acquisition of Arkea that the you know the two properties combined might be might push them big enough to get moved to the front half of previews, um, which will elevate their you know status overall. Well, I know for me, I'm not a guy who follows Diamond, but I do use um, ComicList.com. Whenever before I go to the comic shop, I pull that up and see what books are coming out that I want to pick up, just to make sure I don't miss anything, or that if Diamond didn't send something to my comic shop, that I can tell them, "Hey, can you order this for me?" or or whatever. If I need to know, I need to go to another store down the street that did get that book in, however it works out. But there's tons and tons of comic book companies, and I look through the list for some, but not for all of them. And Boom is always one of the ones I stop to just read through everything they're putting out that week, just to make sure there's nothing I want. Archaea is not. And that's nothing against Archaea, it's just not um, a publisher that I have a huge knowledge of their books. I mean, Mouse Guard. Everybody knows Mouse Guard, whether they've read it or not, but... Now that they're purchased by Boom, yeah, there's a good chance that at least for people like me, that is a, a, a publisher that is now going to have more visibility, you know, because they are already looking at Boom. If those titles are under there, hey, that, that's good for them. It's uh, it's all it's all about uh, IPs. I mean, if if they're um, Boom Boom right now has a lot of momentum. They have some you know some solid books. They have uh, like you said, Ross. You know, they they have the the um. The ad space there in in previews. I know at Heroes Con they um they and Valiant were like the two biggest uh, publishers there, uh, two biggest quote unquote indie publishers. And uh, I think you know um, they have a, a large children's division too at Boom. They have a lot of kids comics that they put out. Um, you know that really wouldn't be on our radar because you know that's not what we read. But um I, I could see like Mouse Guard crossing over into that and being used as an IP there. Um. I don't. I. I think it's a good move for both of them. I mean, they'll be able to consolidate their resources for sure. I mean, um, you get the IPs from Arkea, and you get the uh, the exposure and and you know, uh, gravitas that Boom has in the industry. I mean, everybody knows Boom Studios now, thanks to you know what they put out so far. Yeah, I think having Mark Wade as their um, editor in chief for for some time is kind of what helped them. I think through that kind of early awkward stage, they leveraged a lot of his properties with Irredeemable um, and Incorruptible and some of the other stuff that he was writing. And I mean, he since moved moved on from that role at Boom, but it it really put them in a good position. They've acquired some some pretty decent um, so, some pretty decent licensed property. I mean, the Planet of the Apes stuff they put out, in my opinion, and I know you know John's read a lot of it too. I have too. too. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's been really, really solid stuff. I mean, I I, I was really bummed when the um, when the Daryl Gregory series got canceled, but again, I think um, you know it, it it unfortunately just wasn't doing big numbers, um, which is like I said, really unfortunate because it was. I personally like it better than even the Hardman Betchko stuff that they're doing now with um, Cataclysm. I, I really think that um, Gregory, that combination of Daryl Gregory and Carlos Magno was just a really, it just worked. Um, and that was just one of the best books out there at the time. I think also, I mean, it shows, like you said, the editorial leadership of Wade, that they're able to take a, uh, an IP that's been kind of stale, stagnated, probably since the Tim Burton movie, and turn it around and really with just using quality writing and quality artists, you know, get a really good book out there with, you know, that IP. I mean, basically, that's what, um, you know, that's how Dark Horse made their name, you know. 
with uh, you know Star Wars license, right. Buffy license, and things like that. You know, I mean, it's a it's a strategy that works. I mean, if you can attach the right people, like you said, Daryl Gregory wrote that book very well. Carlos Magno, I don't know what uh, he's going to be working on next, but I will read it. That's how good his art was. Um, you know, Boom has the the cachet of having the quality books. So does Archaea. I think you know, a high tide rises all boats. I think it'll be good for both companies. Jordan, I'm I'm back on the Spider-Man train, and I want to talk about superior foes of Spider-Man. Did you check out the book, sir? I did, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. It re- it's got that um that kind of uh, losers Thunderbolts flavor of the the uh, the villains who can't get anything right. I love the scene when they uh, rob the pet store. Right. That was hilarious. Um, these are like basically they're they're low rent villains who are trying to work together to take out Superior Spider Man. It's Speed Demon and Boomerang. Speed and Demon, new... we should say, the former the Wizard, uh, an HHW right. favorite. The second Wizard, even. Yes, yes, he, he is a legacy character. Who the legacy of Wizards. Of the Wizard. Of the wizard. <laughs> There's leg- legacy of Wiz. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but now he's Speed Demon and, uh, Boomerang with, you know, the guy with the giant boomerangs all over his chest and, uh, the female beetle who, I mean, the original beetle is now Mach 1, a different character, but this is, uh, she has the same, you know, carry, um, costume as the original beetle and I'm forgetting somebody, the shocker. And, uh, overdrive. And overdrive, right. But the shocker is like the, cla- I don't know, even going back to the Ramita days, he was like the classic loser Spider-Man villain. You know, I mean, if you had a, you know, a, a Spider, you bought a Spider-Man comic that month, and it was the Shocker. Guess what? That was all you're going to get because by the end of the comic, the Shocker would be gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, I I really liked this. It, it was fun, and I definitely want to check out the rest. Yeah, this was kind of like the the same thing for me with Avenging Spider-Man. I don't know if listeners or you guys remember, but when Avenging Spider-Man came out, it was this book that you know, and I I love Amazing Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man in general. I just I can't add another book to my to my pool list, and it's I'm just gonna skip this one. There's always been ancillary Spider-Man titles out there, and I don't always buy them. And this is gonna be the one of the ones I don't buy. And it was gonna be the same thing for uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man. But then when they announced at New York Comic Con, hey, every copy of Avenging is gonna have uh, you know the free digital copy, and if people support that, we'll look into doing it in the future. And I was like, you know what? I want to support that idea because I think that's really cool. So I'll pick up the first couple issues just to support that. And wouldn't you know it, the book was really, really good. And so I'm still reading it to this day, although it's ending very soon to become um, uh, spectacular or Superior Spider-Man Team-Up. So it was kind of the same thing here where oh, I'm not going to buy this book. I'm not going to buy this book. And then on Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I went into the shop and I was only picking up like four or five books. It was a very small week for me. And I saw it on the on the stands. I was like, oh, it's a good cover. I'll, I'll check out the first issue. If, if nothing else, it'll be good to talk about on the show. And wouldn't you know it, the book is awesome. I had such a good time with this book. It's kind of, uh, you know, all those books you mentioned, Jim, plus Secret Six with uh, kind of the same feel as Hawkeye, both in tone and in art style. And... I, I guess I'm going to be picking up another Spider-Man book, and I, I say that like it's a bad thing, but I love Spider-Man. It's just, man, this is more money out of my pocket, but it's such a fun book. It's these five loser villains who kind of want to be the new Sinister Six, even though there's only five of them, and they're all pretty much terrible, and even even pre-Doc Ock Spider-Man made constant fun of these guys. I mean, one of them is Boomerang, and one of them used to be the Wizard. Um, and it's just... It was a ton of fun, and granted, I don't know, I mean, this book could go downhill for all I know, but from this first issue and from this particular creative team, 
I really love this concept, and I figure it's a finite book since we all know Spectacular Spider-Man won't, or I keep saying Spectacular Superior Spider-Man won't go on forever because eventually Peter will be back. But as long as this book is around, I think it's going to stay on my list because it was a lot of fun. I've always been a sucker for villains books, even you know, like you said, Secret Six, uh, even going back to like you know, Super Villain Team Up and Secret Society back in the seventies when I was a wee geek. Um, I've always been a sucker for villains books and Thund- the original run of Thunderbolts, Kurt Busiek and Bagley. It's one of my favorite runs of, of all time. So this really and, and it reminded me too of um, I don't know if you've ever read Modox Eleven. I have not read it, but I know of it, and I know it was supposed to be I, pretty fun. They recently it, had that on a digital sale, and I picked it up. Oh, isn't that hilarious? I, only, I love that book. That's, yeah, I've only read the first issue so far, but uh, but yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, it reminds me of that. It just has that kind of tone, or or even like um uh, um Alice when he was doing Agents of Hate, you know, uh, um it just has that kind of over the top uh, thing going on. It's it's really fun, and uh, like it, it just it made me laugh out loud literally while I was reading the comic books. And Superior Foes of Spider Man. I've only been reading the actual Superior Spider Man comics, but uh, or comic, you know, uh, but I'll definitely be picking up this too. And I would say for anybody who's listening to this and goes either, A, I don't care about Superior Spider-Man, and I know there are plenty of people who don't or like Spider-Man but do not like this current direction. Um, I don't agree with you, but hey, I can respect it. It's just not your thing. Um, if you like Hawkeye, the current volume of Hawkeye that's out, the current book, and you have not checked this out, check this book out because it is very similar in tone. And in, like I said, tone and art style. If you like the feel of that book, you will like the feel of this book. And if you aren't reading Hawkeye... Check out Hawkeye, because it's awesome. But this is also really cool. You don't need to know any of these characters. Um, most of them, before this issue, were ciphers anyway, for the most part. I mean, particularly Overdrive. I've, I've probably read every issue Overdrive has ever appeared in, and outside of this issue, I couldn't even tell you his real name, let alone anything about him besides his power. And yet all the characters here, one more than others, but it's only the first issue, have characterization and feel fun, and you get to know a little bit about them. And you don't need to know any of their histories. Even, you know, Shocker's probably the biggest of the main five. Um, Chameleon's also in there, so you probably know Chameleon from Spider-Man. You will know these characters, and you will love hating them. And they're they're hilarious. It's like, it's almost like it reminds me of Mystery Men. Kind of like... Yeah, um, there's definitely a Mystery Men feel. Kind of, you know, the bumbling uh, um, side of supervillainry. So I, I, I recommend it. I thought it was a fun read. I heard Amen, sir. I heard rumor that they're actually, and I think it's out of San, San Diego, but they're supposed to be a Peter, it's either Peter Parker Spider-Man or Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man uh, book coming towards the end of the year. So I'm not really? sure what all that's about, but... That's not the original graphic novel they've been talking about? I don't think so. I, do, I don't think so. I think this is a new ongoing um, to couple with some of the other stuff they've they've got going on. But it, what if they clone Peter a new body, his yeah. consciousness from a little gold octobot ends up in the clone body, and it's Peter Parker versus Otto Octavius, Spider-Man versus Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I could dig that, uh, I guess. And then Miles <laughs> yeah, Morales shows done. up. And then who shows up? Miles Morales. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, should we use that as a jumping off point uh, to talk about... Uh, and I almost said Avengers versus X-Men, but uh, Age of Ultron 10 and Age of Ultron as a whole, now that it's done, good riddance? Yeah, I, I, really <laughs> thought, you, I thought you put it really well in your uh, your point one podcast that we yeah. post on the site, Jordan. I thought, Thank you. 
I thought you put it very succinctly and well. Yeah, the endings, you know, plural, on the end of, of, of Age of Ultron 10, just didn't seem like they belonged in that comic book, really. Well, that's probably because they were the only things that were even somewhat interesting. Yes, that too. <laughs> that too. Well, and what made it worse is you're reading it, and then there was like an ad for that book, like the, an ad for the coming book, and then the like the full page reveal. So there were like these ads in the middle of there's like ads in the middle of the book before the book was over and i was just like i it, thought that was kind of smart though well but it, it made it feel like a free comic book day book like it didn't feel like a book that i you know just paid 3.99 for and came polybagged i mean it just it, it, it just to me it it felt like a promo book and it's like if you're gonna make a promo book then make a promo book don't make a promo book and pass it off as the end of your big event and charge three ninety nine for it. Um, while, while I agree with you in spirit, I, I don't fully agree with you in this case, if only because most, if not all of those ads, also were showing up in every other Marvel book that month. It wasn't like they were extra ads. It was just they were very strategically placed in this issue. You know, the Guardians of the Galaxy ad was going to be in Spider-Man that month as well, and the Avengers AI was going to be in Avengers that month as well. It was just... I feel more that the strategic placement of it, which again I think was a smart business decision, um, that might be what was more off-putting to you than just the existence of them at all. If they would have, even if they would have, and I know maybe I'm I'm being a little nitpicky, but even if they would have saved it to the end, I would have. It wouldn't have bothered me quite so much. But the fact that they were literally like, oh, here's a reveal. Oh, and here's an ad for this book where this, you know. These, these people are going to show up, and then here's another intro, and then boom, here's another ad. It just, I don't know, it just really took me the wrong way. And then again, another, another. I, I don't know, I just, I think the, the thing, the way the thing ended was a bit of a hot mess, because personally, it just didn't make sense. You know, they're, they're bringing something up in this book that has never really been an issue before. You know, they did a little bit of time travel and then fix and then you know fixed it, and all of a sudden it's caused this huge fracture. That has oh, because Russ, they they mess with the space time continuum one time too many. Everything uh, got you know, timey wimey, dude. Time limit. Stark said everything got timey wimey. Yes. <sighs> you have exceeded yeah, your time travel fooling around with limit. Yeah, like I mean, it's it's just inconsistent with the rest of the Marvel universe. It was, and, and I hate when people say about time travel stories that, oh, they changed the past, so none of this book mattered. So I just read a book that didn't matter. And that always comes off as annoying to me because hopefully that was the whole point of the book was to undo something that happens at the beginning. So I don't mind when that happens in um, time travel, be they comics, movies, or whatever. If the point is to change the past and fix things, well, then hopefully, yes, the rest of the movie doesn't matter. It was just fixing it. Right. However, this book had that feel to me of not necessarily that none of it mattered, but large swaths of this book did not matter, did not have anything to do with the end game. They were just offshoots of, you know, these characters split up with these characters and these characters are going to do one thing and the second group is going to do something else. And you get the story of both groups, but only one matters. And then that group splits up and they both have stories, but only one of their stories matters. And it just felt like this, overly drawn out mess and I don't mind deconstructive storytelling I love Hickman when it's done right a story can take place over a lot of issues 
and build in certain ways, even slowly, and come off awesome. But this just felt like a three-issue max miniseries that was stretched into ten issues. I mean, it should have been three issues of Avengers, for one thing, back when Bendis was writing it. But instead, it's its own ten-issue miniseries that just felt plotting and meandering and, like, a waste of my money. That has gone ahead and launched yet another Avengers title monthly. I mean, how many Avengers monthlies are there now? Uh, Fourteen? Well, one just ended, so I think it's the same as it was before. If I mean, but that's like the only. I'm sorry, that, that's like the only thing that it really came out of this. The thing at the end, you know, the the, the different, you know, three endings or whatever. Uh, other than them, you know, saying that they messed with the continuum one too many times or whatever, had nothing to do with what happened before, right? At all, you know. I right. mean, it's like such a. I mean, they could have done that that whole page where you know Stark is explaining that they've done that, you know, too many, you know, this too many times. You know, that could have been the first page of a preview book like 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 Russ said or whatever. And I mean nothing that happened before that has any any bearing on anything at all other than spinning this new Avengers title out. Well and then you know? going and then going back to that point one issue that came out what, three years ago at this point or whatever? Or two and a half years ago? I mean it was like what, Avengers ten point one? And that It was twelve point one and twenty four or something like that. Like the book was released twice. Yeah so it's it, it was weird. It, it's like who the hell remembers that? Like it just it was one of those things where I was reading it and I'm like, okay, I know I've read this before. I know this has come up, but it it didn't seem that the story they were telling would naturally fit back to that being the point at which the divergence happened and everything that happened at the beginning of the story was related to to these to this particular event. It just it was so disjointed i mean i have a feeling if this was anybody other than bendis like if somebody else had this story in the can that a they would have just shelved it permanently or it would have come out as some side mini series that was its own thing totally disconnected from the rest of the marvel u and wouldn't have had the ending that we saw it would have just been here you know it would have ended put everything back the way it was supposed to be and that was that but being that it's Bendis and he he is who he is, I think they and he had such a legacy on Avengers that this was allowed to kind of permeate. And they again, they kind of tacked this stuff on the end, or at least that's how it, it came across to me. I mean, Angela coming in as the as the quote unquote big reveal or one of the big reveals, which had gotten out by that point. So having Bendis or having Casada come in and do the art on that last page, it was like, OK, who cares? It it, it we know, you know, we know exactly what happened. Um, I, I guess the Galactus thing going, or Galactus, our Galactus going into the ultimate, or t- into the ultimate universe is, is kind of interesting and could be a big deal. But again, it just seems like, you know, we've seen that s- story before. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think it started off good. It had an interesting middle and the end just totally screwed the pooch. I mean, just like, and and it just gets back to Bendis, you know. The guy seems to cannot. It seems that he cannot end an event well. I mean, we saw it with um, Secret Invasion. We you know we saw it with um, Civil War Siege. No, well, that Miller was Civil War. Oh yeah, that was Miller. You're right. Um, it, it just seems like when the guy does event stuff, he just can't. It it, it just the ending just is a total is a total dog. I mean, I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, we all felt you know fairly decent like like to me secret invasion was i i I was 
did, I think it drug out. Then that's the other thing is I think the Bendis style of dragging a story out way too many issues. I think that that trope needs to die. Like you don't need to take ten issues to tell a five or six issue story. Um, and and that's exactly what happened here is we got this long drawn out beginning and then the end got so compressed that it just didn't make sense to me. Um, it just man I I and it's sad too because I I had pretty. I had really high hopes on this based on the beginning. Um, and it just, it just, uh, the beginning is what kind of dashed my hopes about it. Cause it just reminded me of like earth X or days of future past or a lot of other better stories, you know, even the, you know, the kill Raven stuff from amazing adventures in the seventies, you know, that showed yeah. up in Avengers forever. But, um, yeah, it just, I, I, it did not appeal to me at all. And then the big reveals quote unquote at the end of the, uh, of issue 10, like, you know, they could have been done anywhere. You know, they, yeah. they didn't belong yeah. there. It just seemed like kind of, you know, glued on at the end. Um, so it, 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 it's too bad because I, I, at least in the comics press that I read, there seems to be a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths over Age of Ultron. And, you know, that's too bad. That might make people hesitant to check out Infinity, which I think is really cool or looks really good. Yeah. And it looks like it's going to be very interesting. So, and, and here's the thing. I mean, before we go into Infinity and Avengers AI and, and some of those other things, you know, Marvel's events over the last uh, 10 years or so, which, you know, just happens to be the same period of time I've been pretty much reading comics, they all run the gamut from decent to bad, you know, with this one definitely falling into the bad category, with a lot of them falling in that middle. But at least um, most of the books that spin out of those, the new status quos, the, um, you know, be that uh, Avengers the Initiative or... Uh, uh, the fearless, def- not fearless defenders, although that is also a good book, but um, fear itself, the fearless, a lot of the stuff that comes after them tends to be really, really good. It's just the events themselves. They they seem to have a really good idea of where they want to go and they try to get there, but they do it in the least efficient, the least graceful way possible. And even if the story is okay, like some of the, not, not every one of those events has been bad. I mean, a lot of them have been decent, fun, escapist, you know, superhero books, but it's more like they just have the, the destination in mind and it's the getting there. That's the problem. It's funny too, because right uh, as um, we were, you know, getting geared up for infinity, DC is doing its first big uh, event in the, in the new 52 or whatever, the Trinity war. And it's, uh, it's crossing over, over, uh, all three Justice League books, Justice League, Justice League of America, and Justice League Dark. And of those three, I'm only reading Justice League Dark and occasionally Constantine. So I don't know if I'm going to follow the whole thing. There are, um, four additional tie-ins. What they're doing is they're making all this mythology about in, uh, in the backstory about Pandora, the Phantom Stranger, and the Question. Uh, being like these, um, the, almost like, um, the, the primordial sinners and then, this, um, this, you know, the, the different, uh, Justice Leagues, um, you know, back different, uh, members of this, what they call the Trinity of Evil. So they put Trinity out a Trinity sin. War. Trinity of Sin. Even better. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> thanks. But, uh, it's really weird they put the question in there, I thought. I mean, he's not even really that mystical, or he wasn't until like 52 when he was hanging out with Richard Dragon. You know what I mean? But uh, it's really bizarre to see him recast as a mystic character, you know. Isn't this the Rene Montoya question? The um, it's the question as you know the original question, I guess. They they have it. They start the preview takes place you know thousands and thousands of years ago, 
when um, the Phantom Stranger, who's actually, spoiler, Judas Iscariot, may <laughs> know him from the Bible, uh, and uh, Pandora, who unleashes the, um, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the evils on the world, and uh, this person who is later known as the question because his whole thing is that everyone knows his name and that he's famous and that that's why they wipe away his face. You will forever question your identity. It says in the preview. So uh, they're they're like making the question like this very mystical character, and uh, they're tying in the Shazam uh, mythology to it. It's, it is you know Jeff Johns driven, but I just don't know. I mean, I really don't follow that much of the the DC uh, New Universe core books to know if I even care because I just read Justice League Dark on its own. Um, yeah, it's it, it's interesting because I haven't kept up with it either i i was under the assumption that they kept renee montoya as the as the question in this new since the new 52 and obviously that's that's not the case Hmm. i think this is another one of those events that's kind of gone through weird things like the first promo images almost made it seem like it was batman versus wonder woman versus superman and then and then that changed and then it was going to be some sort of villain team up which May have become that, um, that you know, the the event that they're doing, you know, with all the 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 villain one shots or whatever, um, and now it's turned into this, you know, Justice League versus Justice League versus Justice League thing. Well, the Justice uh, League of America book has been kind of interesting, uh, uh, J- uh, Johnson Finch, because the Justice League of America is like Amanda Waller's counter programming to the Justice League. You know, I mean, they have right. each member of the Justice League of America is, is uh, chosen uh, as an opposite number to the, the uh, you know, uh, nationless Justice League, we'll call them. And then Justice League Dark has kind of been off over in its own little corner. Um, it's been a really good corner, though, because Chef Lemire has been writing it with Guy Fox and uh, Michael Jannon doing the art, fantastic artist. Um, but it hasn't really interacted with the other two books in any way until now. And the whole crux of the story is like you know the uh, mystic characters. So I I just yeah. I don't know. It's summer. Justice it's, Gods it's, Among Us is good. It's summer. It's time for the big events. And yes, Injustice Gods Among Us is good. If you yeah. want to watch Superman totally lose his, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 been a pretty. It's been a pretty fun, and again, it just kind of gets back to me that I think DC's strength is on the the digital first side, on you know over the the print side. I mean, I think they've got a few books that are that are still pretty good. I mean, obviously, I've, I'm reading Batman, Superman Unchained has me interested. I still haven't had a chance yet to read um, Super or Batman Superman. Um, uh, would you like the short review or the long review? Uh, the short one, please. Uh, Jay Lee's art is beautiful, but totally distracting and should not be in a world's finest type book. Remember all the problems we had? Well, remember the problems we had with him in Ozymandias? Yeah. Same thing, only with Batman and Superman. Like, you get the, um, you get the Tim Burton trees. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And uh, kind of the the J.H. Williams framing and stuff. And it's cool and it's beautiful, but I don't really think it should be in a mainstream DC superhero book. It just is distracting. Um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that I was. I was just gonna say, Jay. I think Jay Lee's. I don't think his strength is in superhero comics. Um, and based on what you're saying, it seems to reinforce. He's that. a beautiful illustrator. You know, it's just it's not really. Yeah. You know, that's that's not really who they should have gotten for this book, especially with the big, you know, marketing push DC's put behind it. So. 
Yeah. But I know there's a book that both you and I, uh, Jim, have read, and that's the digital first Batman 66. That's right. I can't wait to review this because I know it's going to piss Daryl Taylor off. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was it's, great. It was really fun. It was super fun. It was just yeah. light. You know what? It was like it was like eating a cheeseburger, man. It was it was just you know it was yeah. good for good while it lasted, and you know it's kind of a guilty pleasure when it's gone. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It's one of those uh, overall. I really really liked it. It's a book. One things I one of the things I appreciate is it's a book that you can you can buy on your iPad or your tablet or your computer or whatever, and or even when it comes into print eventually or trade um, and read it to your kids. I mean, this thing is just as kid friendly, if not more so than even the 66 TV show was it. It has that, that same feel, the narration, the art style, the corniness. I mean, and even if nothing else, this book is a little more corny than the TV show because they could do even more outlandish things because they're not constrained by budget. Um, so they could do some real cool things with, the Batmobile that obviously they couldn't do in the TV show. Um, and it's using kind of the Marvel infinite style where it, it does the, you know, the, the word balloons kind of pop in sequentially. So it's, you know, there's no question as to how to read along. Um, if a character is falling, they'll actually show them go from small to bigger, to bigger, to bigger. Um, you know, there's a little bit of that action movement that I personally prefer over motion comics. Like I like this, format much better than than motion comics because motion comics just always seem really hokey um and this just has a really cool effect to it the only thing that really bugs me about this book and it's somewhat nitpicky but some but somewhat not because it really jacks with my eyes is the way that everything is outlined um like you'll you'll have your your black line for your outline of your figures and then they'll do like an inset line in an, in another color so they'll do like a like a maybe a dark blue line and then a light blue line inside of it and it almost looks like it it should be one of those um red blue lens 3d image things um and it really made my eyes kind of go buggy when i was reading it um so i'm i'm hoping that maybe if they get that feedback moving forward that that's something they change because it really to me it was extremely distracting um i don't i don't know if you picked up on that as well, I, I yeah, it did, I don't think it bothered me as much as it did you. I didn't think it was as much of an issue. I really liked um, the way they got the likenesses spot on for uh, Adam West and Burr Ward and Frank Gorshin. Uh, even even you know uh, Chief O'Hara looked like um, uh, um, uh, Stafford Rapp, the guy who played him on the old show. Just really that kind of attention to design and detail, and the art really fit the the story I thought too. And again, I like the little digital effects, like you said, where they you know sequentially put out word balloons or you know put elements in panels as you read, you know, as you click through. Um, I think we we should see more of that in the DC side, uh, you know, in the future. I, I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Like I said, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Conan, uh, Conan books. I know you love a good Conan comic book, Russ. I would like to recommend to you, if you're not already reading it, King Conan, The Hour of the Dragon by Tim Truman. Uh, nice. Yeah, I, I'm pretty much getting all that stuff into, in trade, um, and I'm pretty much behind the time. I, I typically get the trades after I can get them, usually at cons and stuff for pretty cheap, but I, this is one I've, I've had my eye on, so I'm curious as to... 
I am. Um, Tim Truman's writing it, not drawing it. But the artist is uh, Tomas Giorello, and he is great. He looks like it looks like Tim Truman or Ernie Chan or that kind of you know super textured uh, kind of art. You know, almost like uh, Lee Bermejo, but not painted. Uh, just really sure. well done pencils. Um, really, uh, and it's it's an old King Conan telling tales of his younger days when he just started being the king, and uh, it, it's really fun. I mean, it's that pulpy adult Conan that, that I really have always loved in Conan comics, you know, going back to even the 70s black and white magazine in the day. So uh, it's good stuff. I, I just wanted to throw out that recommend. Nice. That's Dark Horse, by the way. I just want to shout them out since we get re- nice review copies from them. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think I talked about this last time. I uh, I finally was able to get a hold of my Wolverine Adamantium edition. And you were subsequently trapped under it for three days without food or water. <laughs> yeah. So I finally got it, and it's heavier than the Tashin 75 Years of DC Comics book. Um, and at least that book has a handle on it. Um, this one doesn't. And it is, it's, you could not read that book in your lap. It's it's impossible. I mean, did the mailman did the way did, too big did FedEx we, or UPS guy bring it to your door? Did he groan at you when it, he handed it to you because it was so heavy? No, luckily we're so out in the middle of nowhere that um, they pretty much just have to put it. We have a box for UPS and FedEx deliveries, and so they have to put it in there. But the box it came in was ridiculously huge, um, and there was tons of stuff in there. But it's it's it's. It's probably the best book that I have. I mean, that and the Tashin book are very neck and neck, but it's 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 really incredible to see that art blown up to that size. Um, it, your, I'm trying to trying to describe this. The it has a nice gutters on it, so you don't lose stuff in the in the crease in the middle. And each page has a very thick border around the outside. That has a distinctive pattern based on the story you're reading. It also labels the story you're reading, so you could kind of like thumb through it um, and and figure out you know where you're at. And 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 each story has its own distinctive border style to it. Um, and just I mean, to me, being able to look at that Miller art and being able to look at the um, the Barry Windsor Smith stuff is what really just blew me away. Being able to look at that blown up to to that size i mean this is probably they're probably you know blew it up I, th- I guess it would be pretty close to 11 by 17 so it's pretty much the size of the original artboards um and it's just in and the, and the coloring really comes off they used a really nice glossy paper um and the coloring works well it's not overly bright to where like i have a reprinted uh, copy of the of the weapon x stories from marvel comics presents and the paper is like really white and the coloring just looks kind of off because it was meant to be printed on that newsprint, um, and it and it doesn't kind of have that off-putting as off-putting of a look as as that uh, that hardcover edition that I that I have in the in regular comic size. Um, it's it's just the only thing that that concerns me. Um, it is slip cased, but the 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 spine on it is so huge, um, and I guess you know they use that process where they. It doesn't have a slip cover. It has the cover kind of molded to the to the binding, um, and so on the spine of it, 
because it's so huge, um, the the spine actually you could see it kind of crinkle a little bit. Not like not like a crease like you would in a paper trade, but you could kind of run your hand over it and kind of it, it's a little wavy. And I think it's just because uh, you know the damn thing's just so big. Um, so I'm I'm a little concerned with how it's going to hold up over time. You know, like if I were to read it somewhat regularly five or six years from now, you know, is, is the thing going to literally just kind of rip or fall apart? Um, but the part that I'm, I'm speaking about is not the actual bound part. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, I've been, I've been seriously thinking about doing another unboxing type video so I could show it off a little bit and, and show people what it you know really looks like and how big the art and what the presentation is like. Um, and the slip cover, it comes in a box and then the, and then the inside the box is the slip covered book. But it's, it, I mean, it's an expensive book. And if I couldn't have gotten it for like half off at DCBS, I don't know that I would have bought it. But man, I tell you what, when I opened that thing up and started thumbing through it, I, I was, I was happy I did. I've, I've, I mean, there, I've got a few of those, those large books. Um, and that one just really is, is incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sight to behold. If you're ever caught in a nuclear blast, you can just hide behind it. Yeah, between that and the, uh, I also got in the shipment after that, my uh, John Byrne Fantastic Four Artist Edition, and it's it's not as good as the Daredevil one, Jim. Uh, I really like the some of the presentation with the Daredevil one, especially the acetate overlays and and you know some of the it, it seemed to have more notes and things like that. It was a little more raw. I think the Daredevil one was, um, and the Burn one is very good. I, I really like the presentation on it. Um, th there's like outside in the inside cover uh, of both the front and the back have like Burn's original uh, character sheets and and notes for each one of the Fantastic That's Four, cool. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I um, just got the Burn. I just got the Burn on my bus at uh, Heroes Con. I've been reading reacquainting myself with those stories and really you know, it's one of the best fantastic four rounds ever it really is yeah i think i think in this month they solicited the second yeah this month's previews they solicited volume two um and it's they bumped the price up it went for i think volume one was a cover of either 75 or 100 and this one is cover price of 125 so um, which is a little pricey, but I, I'm guessing it's probably the uh, a bigger volume than the, than the first one. But it, no, it's a good book. Was, I mean, uh, those artists price are... of 125 as well. Yeah, I'm looking. Oh, was it really? Right now. Interesting. So this one is as well. I didn't I didn't realize it was that uh, that big. I it's one of those that's sitting on my shelf. I just haven't dedicated the time to to read it yet. But but I did go through the the artist edition. Um, and it's it's just really well done. Those the IDW really knows how to how to put those things together, um, and they're very well made books, and and they're very well put together. There's a lot of you can tell there's a lot of time and effort that's put in there. There's a few pages I want to say maybe six or seven pages out of the whole book that weren't uh, based on the original art. They just they had black and white line art that they used um, and stuck in there and blew it up. But it's not the actual art uh, scanned copies of the artboards. Uh, I, you know, I guess some of this stuff is just hard to find. Um, and unlike the Daredevil one, it's scattered issues, um, and and not all of them are complete. So oh, it's wow. again, it's not quite. Yeah, it's. I mean, the Daredevil one was nice because it was the entire, you know, Born Again series, you know, front to back. 
Um, and this one is kind of is a little scattered, but it's kind of interesting too because you get kind of get a good feel of how Burns' style changed from the beginning of his run on FF um, towards the the end of the run on it. So um, definitely worth checking out if you if you can get a hold of it. Uh, they, I think they've done a better job. IDW has of keeping these things in print. You know where they're not they're not immediately selling out. So if you want to get one, you can't. I know the Daredevil one is still in print, which is odd because. Every other version, every other one they've had, uh, the first printings have immediately or almost immediately yeah, sold try, out. Try finding, um, try finding really... Romita, uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, oh, forget uh, it. Under three hundred dollars, forget it. I know. Or, or the Simonson Thor. Yeah, another one. And that's that's one I could kick myself because I almost pre-ordered that one, and then I I kind of chickened out at the last minute because I thought, oh well, I should be able to find it, um, and then it, it was gone immediately. So. That's one if they ever go back to press on that like they have. They've gone back to press on, I think, the Wally Wood book, and then they went back to press on the um, on the Dave Stevens Rocketeer book. So if they, if they ever go back on the Simonson Thor omnibus or uh, the artist edition, I'm definitely going to grab that one because I've heard a lot of good things I didn't about know they'd gone back for the Dave Stevens. So I might have to take that and take a look at that. Yeah. yeah, and that's one you can definitely still find. Hey, Jordan, you still there? I am. What you been reading, buddy? Well, I just finished up. I, I talked about this book, I think, on our last BS show, but the last issue was not out yet. So I just wanted to come in with an update to say the last issue is out, and the book ends very well, and that is Fury Max, uh, My War Gone, Gone By. This is the 13-issue Marvel Max series that focuses on Nick Fury uh, all the way from the 50s up through modern day. And just showing him and a select group of characters and how they interacted during the Bay of Pigs and Nicaragua and Vietnam and some other places. Um, now that it's over, I can confidently say if you are a Nick Fury fan at all, you should definitely check the story out. If you are not a Nick Fury fan or just not really super familiar with the character outside of, like, say, the Marvel movies, but you uh, want to know more about this character and you like the writer, it was uh, Garth Ennis, I believe. Don't be worried that you're not going to know all the backstory for Nick Fury or that you aren't going to know the supporting characters. As far as I know, all of the supporting characters in this book are creations specifically for the book outside of uh, Frank Castle appears a few times, um, the, the Punisher, of course. You're not going to have to worry about knowing all that backstory or any of those other characters. Everything you need to know about this book is in this book. It's fantastic start to finish. It is certainly very adult. It is not for kids. Um, but if you're a Nick Fury fan or interested in knowing more about him, this is a great uh, look at some slices of his life that all fit together and tell a complete beginning, middle, and end story. Nice. I read, I think I picked up in in the physical copies the first five or six issues of it, and I, I really liked it. But I was at that point, I was like, you know, I'm really digging this. I think I'm either going to wait and see what they do with the hardcover treatment or wait for a digital sale and just pick it up wholesale and finish reading it. But, um, but yeah, it was it was really well done. Um, the I, I really like the Max stuff. Um, with regard to Fury, they're doing a Wolverine Max story now, which I haven't picked up. But again, I'm the same same kind of deal with that. I'm either waiting for a decent hardcover treatment or a digital sale. Very cool. Yeah, before we get into you know, Avengers and the next uh, Marvel crossover event, Infinity. Jim, can we wrap up a little bit of Age of Ultron with uh, you telling us what you thought of Avengers AI number one? 
So basically, they're giving Hank Pym a group to keep Ultron down. Oh. Despite the fact that Ultron doesn't exist anymore. Right. Okay. They um basically in the the first issue, Monica Chang from Shield finds part of uh, Pym's code in some uh, drones that were uh, hacked and taken over and uh, you know acted independently on their own. They uh you know they question she questions Pym she kind of suspects Pym but Cap comes in and vouches for him. Uh, we see that the Vision has been hanging out in the center of the sun, powering up. <laughs> and it's basically a, a group of... It's Hank Pym and a lot of AIs. And uh, there's a, a Senia Doombot that's part of the group. Um, uh, there, it's, it's basically you know a, a task force to mainly deal with AI uh, threats in the Marvel Universe. I think that's what they're moving towards anyway. This was kind of a getting-the-band-together type... Uh, first issue. And does it tie into the last volume of Secret Avengers at all? Because that had Hank Pym dealing with that same issue. It kind of springs from that. Um, yes. It, what were they? What were they called? The Descendants, I think. I, yeah, I think I think that's right. But basically, he's um he's assembling this group to to fight uh, evil AI in the Marvel universe. So I guess they figured you know, there are enough you know AI villains in the Marvel universe to give them their own team and book. So. I don't know. How many Avengers titles do we really need? I mean, I know we're, you know, we're losing one and we're gaining one, but it seems like there are so many. I mean, some of them are truly great. Don't get me wrong. I love Young Avengers and I love Avengers Arena. And I definitely love what Hickman's doing in, in both, uh, uh, secret, or not secret, uh, in, uh, Adjectiveless and, uh, in New Avengers. But I mean, there just seems like there are the Avengers franchise ever since the movie is just, you know, there are just way too many Avengers books to, to try to, you know, keep them all you know, up in the air, you know? Well, I mean, they sell. I mean, you can't fault them for knowing that, hey, if we put this book out as Arena, it'll sell 20,000 copies uh, an issue, and if we put it out as Avengers Arena, it'll sell 50. I mean, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, but it's not like it's a problem that we haven't contributed to as comic fans in general. You know, what are they supposed to do in that situation? Just not sell more copies of the book? Give me another Fearless Defenders book. Give me an Iron Fist monthly, you know, give me anything. I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm getting Avengers fatigue, I guess. <laughs> I understand, but like like you said, I mean, I'm not reading all the Avengers books, but I'm reading Hickman stuff, I'm reading Young Avengers, I'm reading um, Avengers Arena, and they're all awesome, so it's not like I would, for me personally, I might not have necessarily picked up some of them if they weren't Avengers, like I would have picked up the Hickman ones, because I love Hickman. I would have picked up Arena because I liked a lot of those characters from Avengers Academy, which spun out of Avengers The Initiative, which I did not pick up because it was Avengers, but because it had characters I loved in it. But, you know, it just feels like one of those things that exists in the industry because it has to. It's, it's all right. Well, let's go ahead and let's talk about Infinity a little bit. We've got you know, we got um, the the entire Marvel universe kind of losing its fabric. A lot of the same way it did. You know, remember the fault in you know War of Kings and all that, where you know another universe is kind of peeking in. Um, it's, sure, only this is that times uh, right. Infinity. Right. You know, no pun intended. It's like a multiverse structural integrity problem. Um, that's you know we get Angela, we get Galactus crossing over the Ultimate Universe, all this other stuff, and then on the other side we have Jonathan Hickman introducing. You know, the, you know, new universe, the new universe characters from back in the '80s, bringing those back in, Night Mask, and uh, and and, and Starbrand, and gearing all up, you know, towards Infinity. Which I don't, you know, if I didn't know any better, I would think they're going to go for something like a Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they just kind of reboot the universe. What do you guys think? What do you, where do you think Infinity is headed? 
Well, it's tough to say. I mean, what we know so far is um, the builders, which is a concept that as far as I know, Hickman came up with, although it's not, you know, the most original thing in the world, that there's some sentient force out there that helped seed life throughout the universe, that kind of thing. Um, the builders are not particularly happy with uh, with Earth in the 616, and they're coming to shut us down, and that is kind of on one front. And so the Avengers and a lot of other Marvel heroes are going out into space to fight them. And while they're doing this, Thanos realizes, hey, Earth's undefended. Uh, this seems like a really, really good time to attack and get something. We don't know exactly what he's after at the moment. Um, the Infinity Gems aren't around, so it's probably not them. And, and as far as we know, he's aware of that. So it's not like he's going to show up and be like, oh, you don't even have it. Okay, bye. But so you've got this battle on two fronts, and and that's even separate from what's going on in New Avengers, as far as we know. I mean, it's, it's connected, but we don't know to what extent, which is just, like you're saying, the, the multiverse is collapsing in on its... on its blah, blah, blah. The multiverse is collapsing in on itself. Uh, in some alternate reality... The Earth was destroyed, and so the two universes closest to it in the space-time continuum moved a little bit closer and crashed into each other at the, you know, the, the point of impact being Earth, which destroyed them both, which created a bigger hole in the multiverse, which you know kept the thing going on over and over again. So now the whole multiverse is slowly collapsing in on itself with Earth as the focal point. And we don't know exactly how that's connected to the Builders yet, although it seems to be, because basically their whole system that they set up for the multiverse is failing. The whole thing is basically Code Red, and that's where we get these new universe characters. I mean, it's it's like a lot of Hickman's stuff in that you won't know exactly where it's going until it gets there. And when it gets there, retroactively, you will be able to look back at any issue that came before it and go, oh, okay, I see exactly why this was important, or exactly how this fits into it. But it's kind of that discovery along the way that's the cool one of the cool things that I love about Hickman's writing. It's not that you know where it's going, but it's that you're just getting a little, you know, you're you're putting another puzzle piece on the board. You don't have the picture of the box yet. You don't know what that final image is like you might with a lot of events or just stories in general, which is X character is going to fight X character or whatever. But you're just getting a little piece and a little piece and a little piece and then when that when Hickman reaches over about halfway through the, the the book or whatever and hands you the top of the puzzle box and goes, this is what you're building. And you're, you know, you, you kind of go, Oh, Holy cow. That's really cool. And I've liked the journey so far, but now it's when we kick in high gear. And I kind of feel like infinity is going to be that moment, the moment where he pulls out of his backpack, that puzzle box lid and goes, here you go. And all the people who are on Reddit and the internet in general complaining that they don't understand what's going on in Avengers or that there's no characterization or whatever, and, and I can get into that later, but that's when they all go, oh, I get it. And it'll be just like Fantastic Four all over again. At least that's the best case scenario. <laughs> I call it the Hickman conundrum, okay? <laughs> I, I, he reads better all as one story because I recently just reread his entire run on Fantastic Four and FF all as one piece. And I totally agree. As did I. It all fits together like a beautiful puzzle, a mosaic or whatever. Uh, you know, metaphor you want to grab for, but you know, I don't want to wait that long. So I, <laughs> I read each issue, I get each little scrap, each little piece, and say, okay, that's cool. I'll wait for the next one now. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, so it's I call it the Hickman conundrum. I mean, it reads much better all as one piece, but I just I enjoy his writing, and it goes it goes for his other books too. I mean, they read. I, I mean, Manhattan Project reads really well in trade. You know, or all in one sitting. But, you know, I can't wait that long. I don't want to wait for the collected edition, <laughs> so I read the single issues as well. So I think I think Manhattan Projects reads 
um, just, I, I don't know if I'll say just as well, but it reads better as single issues than some of his other works do, at least for a mass audience. I actually really enjoy reading his books in single issue form and waiting and just getting that little, that little peek at what the big picture is every issue. And then I like reading it all together as well, don't get me wrong, but I feel like Manhattan Projects is a little bit more accessible to the average reader, issue to issue. Maybe. Maybe it is. Yeah, I I mean I second that. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Russ. No, I was just saying I second that on Manhattan Projects. I I tend to follow what's going on a little closer than with new Avengers and New Avengers and even even with Red Wing, I felt like that read better as as one in one sitting. Um and I've actually kind of let the Avengers issues pile up to some degree, so I've I've typically read them so far in like two to three issue chunks just because that's when I've gotten around to them. Um, right. And, and and I think that's fine. I'm I'm really looking forward to the eventual Jonathan Hickman Avengers omnibus or omnibuy, I guess, because I think between Avengers, New Avengers, Infinity, I think it's just going to be a really... I think I think that story when looked at, like you're saying, Jim, read in one big chunk is going to be pretty amazing. Um, I've really enjoyed it so far, but I, again, I think when you when you are able to have, have been through it one time to kind of get the gist of it, and then you, you read it again from the start and can dive into it a little deeper, I think it's going to have bigger payoffs. Um, but I, as, as far as like what I think Infinity is going to be, I don't think it's going to result in any kind of reboot or any major realignment. I think there might be a, a subtle realignment, but I think Marvel's kind of enjoying this pretty good success with Marvel now, and I think a lot of it is based on the fact that the way they've lined up their creative side of things, um, and each one of those books is, is allowed to some degree to be independent. Um, and I think if they did any kind of major shakeup, that would kind of ruin a little bit of what they've done with that. I, I think if the Marvel Now thing wasn't a success and didn't kind of put Marvel back on top for the most part and get their, you know, and shore up the, the top end in the, in the middle tier of the, of the top, you know, 300 list, then I think maybe that this could have been used to do something pretty drastic. But I think they're kind of, a lot of people are jazzed up, it seems, about Marvel, a lot more so than DC. And, you know, whether you appreciate Marvel's tactics, you know, with regards to events and crossovers and multiple covers and, and double shipping and things like that, it seems like people are jazzed up about the stories a lot more so than they are on the DC side. Um, and, I, and part of that is my own personal bias. I fully admit that. Um, I tend to be more of a Marvel fanboy than a, than a DC one. But just anecdotally, just in talking to people, just in looking, you know, what people are saying on Facebook and on Twitter and message boards and, you know, the way the news coverage goes, that's just my perception of, of, of how things are. And based on my own reading habits, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely reading more Marvel for a reason. I don't think it's really biased, though. I mean, I know a lot of DC fans have been turned off by this Villains Month thing uh, where they're being, you know, basically, you know, told to buy extra, you know, like, Something like a dozen extra books or something. They're like each, I know, in like, um, each of the Batman books has like, uh, has a, a villain or at least two villain books. I think the Dark Knight has four. I mean, it's it just, they're sending out an incredible, uh, amount of books. Like Matt Kent is writing like four of them, 
I think. Um, but they're just like, they're saturating the market with all, uh, this villains month. And, you know, it's, they're, it's really not going to impact anything. You know what I mean? It's not, nothing's going to change after villains month. You know what I mean? And I know a lot of, you know, heavy, hardcore DC guys, guys that, you know, have been buying the same DC issues, like, you know, or, you know, titles since back in the eighties who are totally boycotting this villains month and sitting it out and using their money on other comics. Yeah, I think it, it maybe goes into that. Was it forever evil or whatever the thing is the, yeah, the but next it's, month? But it's just, uh, it's just, I don't know. They have like the fold out covers and I guess those sold really well for them. That, you know, it started out as WTF, but it was like the surprise reveal yeah. covers or whatever. And then now they have the lenticular, they're bringing back the lenticular 3D covers and they're, you know, they're having this, this villains month thing. I just, it, it's turning a lot of longtime readers off. Uh, that I see as well, you know, anecdotally on Facebook and the message boards and whatnot. But I mean, when you know, you talk, you have good friends who run a DC centric podcast, uh, that will remain nameless and they are dismayed by DC, um, and, and what they're doing, then, you know, that's saying something. Yeah, I agree. To just, uh, wrap up the infinity discussion a little bit, I would say, you know, we, we talked about this both in, in discussing Hickman and discussing uh, Bendis o- over with uh, Age of Ultron. What do you think is the difference, or or is there a difference, I don't know, um, between our... The, the way we look at a book like Age of Ultron and a, a way we look at books by Hickman, where in Age of Ultron, and I don't know if this is necessarily a Bendis thing, uh, because like outside of the events, I really haven't read a whole ton of Bendis. I mean, not like I avoid him, it's just I, I read certain books, and when he shows up on them, I read them, like Guardians of the Galaxy or something. But what is it about Hickman that makes, at least me, I'm not going to say anybody else does this, but kind of trust him more, that when Yes, you know, for issue to issue, I understand the micro plot. I understand the character interaction. I really enjoy that. I don't grasp the macro plot until a certain point. Like we, like we said, you know, if the macro plot is the image on the top of the box, you don't know what that is fully until all of a sudden you do. But for whatever reason, I trust him. And that's partially because of his track record, but partially because I like the journey. So even when I don't understand how issue X of whatever book fits into the big picture, I trust that I will and that when I do, it'll be awesome. And so far, that's been true. Whereas with Age of Ultron, I mean, granted, I liked it in the beginning to an extent, but even towards the end, even before that last issue, there was just that sense of, I don't know where this is going and I've got a bad feeling about this. I don't have that trust that... Bendis is going to stick the landing. And again, I'm not pointing this at Bendis, but just, you know, why does, why do I at least give Hickman that pass that I don't necessarily give to other writers of, well, I know by the end this will all work out. I think it's just track record. You know? Me too. I mean, he sold me with FF and Fantastic Four once the, uh, you know, nightly news. And I just, you know, you know, there are writers like, like, like Hickman that really haven't done me wrong. You know, and I will follow and do, you know, Brian K. Vaughn is in that group. You know, Neil Gaiman is in that group. You know, and then there are writers that are kind of hot and cold, like Jeff Loeb or, or Matt Fraction, you know, but I definitely put Hickman in the higher echelon just because of, like Russ said, track record. I mean, I've, I've really liked every, pretty much everything he's done so far. Part of it, too, I think with Bendis is I see him more as a long game guy than a short game guy. You know, Bendis wrote or is still writing ultimate spider-man he's been writing it for 13 years now and 
especially when it was still the Peter Parker version, because I haven't read any of the Miles Morales stuff, but I did I did read pretty much from beginning all the way through the death of, of Peter in the ultimate spoiler in the ultimate universe. Um and there was a lot of really I like that Bendis style of dialogue. I like the witty back and forth. There was a lot of that in his Avengers stuff too. And a lot of that I think was just the the issue in, issue out, you know, you know, his storytelling style. You knew that's what you were going to get with Bendis. And I think it works well for the long game. I think what we know of Bendis, or at least for me personally, is his short game tends to be very lacking. You know, he'll start off like like a house on fire, and then it just, you know, stories peter out. And I think when we look at guys like Hickman or Vaughn or even Jason Aaron, um, and Matt Fraction to a degree, I, I agree with Jim, he tends to be hot and cold for me too. But those guys... Uh, the Defenders, anyone? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even Casanova. Casanova is just not my cup of tea. Um, but these guys tend to tell, like, they have a story to tell, um, whether it's independent stuff or superhero stuff, you know, whatever it is. They have a story to tell. They tell that story. They're done. They move on to something else. We saw it with FF. We've seen it with, you know, things like Nightly News and Pax Romana and... I'm sure even with Manhattan Projects, it's a ongoing series, but I'm sure he has some sort of endgame in mind to this thing. You know, Brian K. Vaughn, we saw it with um, Why the Last Man and with um, Ex Machina and, you know, just stuff like that. So I think in our brains, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we, we tend to view those guys as being able to tell a finite story and tell it very well. That, that makes sense. I don't know. It was just a question that was uh, that was kind of gnawing at the back of my, my my neck, especially whenever I, you know, go online and read you know comments about Hickman books or you know anything to do with Avengers or Infinity, where it's just not not that everyone out there is super negative, or not that they don't have a valid point of view, but you know there is Hickman is not a writer for everybody, and I fully understand that. There are plenty of people who are, you know, smart people and, and love comic books that I couldn't go, oh, you should read this Hickman book because it just would not work for them, at least in the short term. I, but, I mean, I, I so go ahead. I tell you now, if if I was in my late teens slash very early 20s and reading, like, Hickman's mainstream stuff, like his, his superhero stuff, I probably would have would have passed on a long time ago and been very off-put by it just because my tastes have matured as a reader, especially even in the last, within the last 10 years, they've matured quite a bit. Um, and so I appreciate the more cerebral style of, of storytelling. And we get that with guys like, mainly Fraction and, and Hickman. I mean, even Jason Aaron is fairly accessible. Um, but I, I just, I think, you know, as my reading tastes have matured and, and, my my age is maturing um i i tend to to gravitate that towards towards that style more so than what i read you know when i was you know when i first started reading comics uh, real quick i wanted to mention our, our friend uh, dave wachter has gone to kickstarter uh to fund a uh, really nice uh omnibus I, I don't know if i'd call it an omnibus or a collection or but a nice cloth bound book collecting his webcomic of Guns of Shadow Valley. And if you haven't checked it out, please go to gunsofshadowvalley.com and look at it and then stop look at that stop this podcast and come back. We'll wait for you because it is 
It's great stuff. Dave Walker is incredibly talented. He's doing uh, Breath of Bones right now for Dark Horse with, uh, with Steve Niles. A uh, story about uh, golems in uh, World War II Germany. Really cool. Uh, but anyway, his Kickstarter is for Guns of Shadow Valley. And it was hilarious because we were in... Um, Heroes Con, and he's like, well, I'm asking for 25 grand, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. I, I don't know if I'm going to you know, make my my first goal. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Dave, you have nothing to worry about. You're an insanely talented individual. And sure enough, he made his 25 grand goal in like less than a week, I think. Um, hey, good yeah, for him. So he's gone to a stretch goal of 50 grand now um, to you know really upgrade and uh, and put on more copies of the book. And if he hits the 50 G mark, he will shave off his beard. Um, which what? is, yes, he will shave off his beard. And I want you to know, I served brunch to this man, I don't know, probably four or five years running. I've never seen him without a beard. So I, I, I you know, if you haven't contributed to this Kickstarter, um, you, you really should. He's, he's really telling the guy and the, and the book will be awesome. Uh, Guns of Shadow Valley, if you want to search on kickstarter.com, you'll be able to find it there. Um, you know, support, support artists you like. <laughs> That's all. I am I am Very staring cool. at my Dave Wachter commission from Super Show 2008, which is a Shadow Cat and Brown and Tan Wolverine done in black and white, um, with like an ink wash on it, and it is awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm the proud owner of several Wachters, including a portrait he did of me as a zombie, uh, cooking up a brain in a cast iron skillet, which uh, I think you can see on the Walking Dead TV podcast site, but. Uh, He's uh, he did a, a swamp thing versus man thing for me. I also have an iron fist print, uh, and a, oh, a, a Ben Grimm thing in a trench coat because I was like that version of the thing, like he was trying to hide. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy and a great talent. And uh, like I said, check out the webcomic; you'll see how how great it is, and it'll look so good um, on paper in your hands. Uh, help him in. Out. And I think the the printed version. Or slash digital version, because I think if you there's one level where you could actually get the print and the digital, um, it's in color, so they're actually coloring the the book. That's awesome! I, I can't wait. Yeah, it's I, I I definitely followed it for quite some time on the website, and then I don't know what it is with web comics. I never seem to remember to go back, um, but it it's really intriguing, and and like I said, the art is just fantastic. The guy. The, the, like you said, Jim, he's just a phenomenal talent, and um, we definitely wish him the the best of luck with his Kickstarter um, as as he moves forward with the stretch goals. Um, I, I I really I, I think that's just again one of those books that's just going to be nice to pull off the shelf and just and just look at it. Um, and and they they have a mock up of the actual hardcover version of the book on the on the Kickstarter page. And it really looks classy. I mean, it's. I think it's just going to be a very well, well done presentation. It's going to be something that's going to look nice on your bookshelf. Yes. I think we're ready for that question of the week, Jordan. Alrighty, this question comes from Forum for Geeks. It was not specifically directed at us, but I read it and thought it was good, and I wanted to bring it up on the show because. I had a hard time coming up with an answer, and I should preface this by saying, um, I believe this will be the last segment for this episode, we will be dealing with uh, comic book death-related spoilers, including one that occurs quite recently, uh, last couple months or six months or so, in The Walking Dead. So if you're not caught up on The Walking Dead and don't want to be spoiled, you might uh, want to just jump out now and uh, have a good week. We appreciate you listening. But Eric, over on Forum for Geeks, asked... Just curious, over your comic reading history, 
which character death impacted you the most and why? For me, it would be Nightcrawler and Second Coming. I kind of grew up with the character. He always always struck me as the conscience of the X-Men, and his death kind of felt to me like a kick in the gut. Uh, Dan says, according to uh, Max Landis, who's the son of John Landis and uh, a writer in his own right, uh, the death of Superman changed the industry, and we can get into that as we talk about this. And uh, Star Joe's Ryan mentions Jason Todd, and uh, he also mentions the death of Commissioner Gordon's wife. Now, for me, I had a really hard time answering this question. I, I posted the somewhat joke answer of Eric O'Grady, the irredeemable Ant-Man slash GI Ant-Man, but only because he's not a popular or well-known character, and that just means that they won't bring him back anytime soon. And for me, as a guy who's been reading comics for, you know, 10, 15 years, somewhere in that window, I really have a hard time of thinking of any deaths in the big two comics, DC and Marvel, that really meant something. I mean, even, I'm loving the the Superior Spider-Man, even Peter Parker over there, I mean, it meant something to me, but like we've said many, many times since and before that happened, we know it's going to get reversed sooner or later, probably around the time Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out, and there's nothing wrong with that, the story that's being told with it is very good, but I know it's not going to last, so it's not really that kick in the gut, like was mentioned uh, in Eric's comment when he was talking about Nightcrawler. And there are a couple characters I can think of, like uh, Marla Jameson, the wife of J. Jonah Jameson. When she passed away a couple years ago in Spider-Man, that meant something and has impacted the characters to this day. I mean, the current storyline in Superior has to do with um, some of the aftermath of that, and it's very good. But For really big characters, I mean, Marla Jameson was never a big character in Spider-Man, as far as I know, certainly not in the time I've been reading it. I mean, she was there, but I can't think of something in the time I've been reading comics from the big two that sticks out as meaningful as something you ever expect to stick in any sort of way, and that, you know, stuck out to me in in any sort of way. Now, I know know you guys can think of examples from before that, because you've been reading comics for much longer than I have. But what are your thoughts on this? What are some of your favorite comics deaths, least favorite comic deaths? And can you think of any in the last 10 years that really meant anything, even in the moment? Uh, to you outside of the comics. Like, I understand that they could work in the comics. Like, say, Johnny Storm in, in Hickman's Fantastic Four run. That meant something in the comics, and it it really played out well. But you knew he was coming back. Um, the two that come to mind would probably be when I was really young, when I was probably about, I don't know, six or seven, uh, the death of Jean Grey. Uh, I know probably for the generation before me, it was probably the death of Gwen Stacy. But when, uh, Jean Grey sacrificed herself in issue 137 of the Uncanny X-Men, like Chris Claremont and John Byrne and Terry Austin, uh, that really, uh, stuck with me because I, I never really had that happen, you know, in a comic that I had read at that point, you know, when I was very young. Um, the other one I would think of probably when, you know, when I was a little bit older was the death of Rorschach at the end of Watchmen. Um, he knows that, you know, his code will not let him stop and, and not tell the world. He knows that he's, you know, he's going to get obliterated and atomized. And it's just, uh, it's just a powerful scene. You know, I remember reading it when it first came out and just kind of thunderstruck by that. But, um, you know, Max Landis, if you haven't read the death or seen this Death of Superman YouTube video, definitely take, you know, some time out and check that out. He makes an incredibly good point that, it, that the Death of Superman pretty much killed death, you know, as a thing in comics. And since then, I mean, uh, characters like Green Arrow have died and come back. Um, you know, I mean, characters you would never expect to even have that kind of ability, power, or, or, or um, you know, 
be able to resurrect themselves from the dead, you know. Um, it just kind of killed death in comics. But, you know, back in the day, it, when you were a little kid and reading that kind of thing, it really had some impact, at least it did to me anyway. Yeah, for me, yeah, I mean, as big of an X-Men fan as I am, I can't really point to the death of Jean Grey because uh, we were kind of talking before we started recording. I actually read the return of Jean Grey in the Avengers and and uh, FF issues before I actually read the uh, Dark Phoenix saga. Um, back then, it wasn't uh, that that was one of the few early trades, and that was the first trade I ever bought was was the Dark Phoenix saga. So that didn't really impact me that much because again, she was she was back before before I really I mean I knew she was gone and I knew how it happened, but I didn't read it as it was happening. Um, I wasn't really reading comics too much. At that time, they didn't bring um, her back for a while, though. I mean, it was you know it's funny she's been dead now longer than she was dead the first time because that happened in I guess it was nineteen eighty when Uncanny one thirty seven came out and she came back in eighty six, so she was only gone six years, and at this point she's been gone ten years in the current continuity, so. She's been dead longer this time than she was the first time. I also remember at the end of issue 100 when, you know, uh, Jean, you know, knocks out Cyclops to keep her from stopping, you know, to, to, for her, you know, flying the space shuttle down to Earth, you know. And at the end of that issue, I thought she had died as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, to me, and then there was, a you know, a while, especially in like the late 80s, it seemed, where, you know, dead was pretty much dead. I mean... You know, it was one of those those things you could count on. You know, we used to say Bucky dead or um, Jason Todd dead. Like that was a, that was a an adjective you would use to describe something because those were two characters. You know, m- much like Uncle Ben, they were just never coming back. Um, and since then, you know, obviously um, Bucky and Jason Todd have come back. Um, one of them, I think, worked well. The other one, not so much. Um, so I've really train myself to when death happens in comics to ju- especially superhero comics which i read more of than anything else it doesn't really do anything to me you know when cap died it was a it was an event it kind of came somewhat out of the blue it was surprising because they actually did it but it wasn't surprising in the fact that you thought it was actually going to stay that way uh you know and, and like we talked about with johnny storm and and just any number of care even Aunt may when they did it in amazing spider-man 400 which was an awesome issue um, and they totally crapped on that story by bringing her back because it really, it really was well done. It was a really well done issue. I really, I would like to point to, um, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths eight, uh, the death of the Flash. Um, you know, in, yeah. in DC, I mean, they he was dead. You know, Barry Allen was gone. You know, and yeah. Wally West was taking up the mantle, and Mark Wade really made his bones with that story. I mean, that that was one of the best. That's my favorite Flash arc of all time. The the run of Mark Wade and Brian Augustin. You know, where they, you know, Wally West is trying to live up to the legend of his mentor who has who has died. You know, I mean, it was it made for yeah. great stories. And and honestly, Wally West was only the, the really the only sidekick who stepped up to take on the mantle of his, you know, trainer or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean. Dick Grayson became Nightwing. He didn't become Batman, you know. Um, so it was it was it was a really good story. They spun out of that, and I thought they they treated his death really well. Now, of course, he's back now, you know, and, and the, the current Flash or whatever. But at that point, I thought it was really well done. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would probably be the closest thing to it, um, was the, the death of Supergirl and the death of the Barry Allen Flash. And again, that felt more permanent just because we knew we were on the cusp of this reboot. You know, the whole Burn Superman thing had kind of come out of the bag at that point. Um, and at, at that point, too, like you said, Jim, we knew that Wally was going to become the Flash. So those, I guess when I was reading it, I was like, wow, that's that's pretty bold. Um, and you kind of had the feeling that, I mean, technically everybody died in, in, in that uh in that series, but but those were pretty impactful, um, and really nothing, nothing else that I kind of witnessed directly as it was going on affected me until until recently. Um, and well, let me back up a minute. We talked a little bit about uh, the death of Superman. That impacted me in the in the res- in, in regard to that's what kind of brought me back into comics. Um, I had been out for several years at that point. I mean, I guess it was probably five or six years I hadn't really... I mean, I casually would keep up with it, but I wasn't actively collecting books um, for that five or six years. And when the Death of Superman thing came up, um, I was working with my buddy Glenn, who you've heard on the podcast um, several times. Uh, we were both... That's kind of how we got to know each other. That that whole thing was going on. He was a huge Superman fan. He, he collected all the Superman stuff um, pretty much from Crisis Forward. And it kind of got me, you know, kind of jonesing for it again. And and that's what got me back to going to the comic shop on a weekly basis and resubscribing to books and filling in my gaps and starting to go to small conventions and and you know reading previews and message boards and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that impacted me not in in the fact of the death aspect of it, but just in the fact of it reinvigorated my love for comics. And and you know people can say what they want about that story, and I do agree that it's kind of that is kind of the kickoff of what made death. Um, completely meaningless in comics, or really put put the you know exclamation point at the end of that sentence. But I thought it was a fairly well done story, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but since then, I think the only thing that comes close, and this is where we get into spoiler territory. So if you've hung in this long and and don't want to hear uh, the recent goings on of The Walking Dead, uh, then 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 here's your chance to bail out. Um, but two things really really shocked me one i think more so than the other um is the death of Lori grimes in the comics um and 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 the baby you know when when she was shot from behind and it was just so graphic and so unexpected and that's the way that that you know that story ended um i was just like i could not believe it's almost like one of those you just want to drop the book and you know recollect yourself for a few minutes because that was just something I had never witnessed in a comic before. Something that that brutal, that out of the blue, that unexpected. Like of all the things I would expect to happen, that was not what I would ex- have expected to happen. Um, reading that now, um, if if it's also kind of had the negative impact of there's been so much death in that book that no matter who they kill off at this point, it's not really going to surprise me or come out of the blue because it's just part of the book. Um, but the other one that really, and it kind of made me mad, like angry, and we, we talked about it when it happened uh, on the show, is in Walking Dead 100 with the death of Glenn. And I really, it really bothered me in the sense that I thought it was unnecessary. Um, I thought it just kind of felt like Kirkman killing a character just to kill a character, because that's what he does and that's what we've come to expect. And... I really that and that kind of soured me a little bit on The Walking Dead. Although I kept reading it, I just didn't have the enthusiasm for the comic 
as I did when I first started reading it. Um, and and again, it's it's kind of it's kind of had a, a chilling effect on that book of well now I just I just expect anything like it wouldn't surprise me shock me or make me blink twice if Kirkman decided to kill off Rick Grimes. Um, I I think that would be a bold move, but again I don't think it would surprise me. Um, and I think that's the unfortunate side effect of all the death in The Walking Dead is it's it's desensitized me. Um, for any death to come. Same with Invincible. He loves to kill people in Invincible, too. That's my take on it. So do we ever see this changing? Do we ever see death smattering again, or has that uh, cat been let out of the bag? I think it all depends on the story that spins out of it, you know? I mean, there have been times when you get, you know, good stories that spin out of death, and that because of this, the gravitas of the story, the death matters, you know? I think that, you know, it depends on the, the team in the comic rather than, you know, just whether, you know, it's a death or not. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the hype machine. I don't think, and I have nothing to base this on, just, just some, the way that Hickman answered some questions at the time and the way some things were done, but with the death of Johnny Storm, I don't think that Hickman... Something tells me I don't think he was a fan of the way that Marvel hyped it up the way they did. I think it was just he he was telling a story that this particular thing happened to this character and it was going to resolve itself. And I think between the media and Marvel and just hype and in an effort to sell books, it just got hyped up as the death of, of Johnny Storm in this huge thing where I think Hickman just kind of saw it as a natural way to tell the particular story he was telling somewhat similar to to the death of cap it it was more in service of a story that he wanted to tell that brubaker wanted to tell and it just turned into this hype thing and i think if you can separate the two i think it again it gets back to death is not is not something that is permanent in in these books but the you know it it just it's just how they tell that story and what they do with it Amen to that. Well, do we have anything else to add before we close out this episode? I'm good. If you would like to get in touch with Long Box of Dune or any of the HHW LOD uh, shows, there are many various ways you can do so. Uh, we have a voicemail line, 516-468-7912. And call and leave us a voicemail. We really appreciate that quite a bit. Um, leave us iTunes reviews. We had to uh, recently reboot our entire site, and we're slowly but surely putting in all of our back catalog of shows. But uh, all of the, that meant uh, we had to reapply to iTunes and uh, reapply with Apple. So... Uh, any new iTunes reviews that you can give us would be great. You know, uh, give us five stars because, you know, you could do your best for us, I think, because we do our best for you. And you can get in touch with, and you can get a hold of us at, H, at LOD at HHWLOD.com. Or you can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Yoda Jones. I'm at R. Latham. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. So until next time, we, uh, we open up the long box of Doom. Thanks for joining us and, uh, have a nice weekend. Take care. Have a good one, everybody.